Well, today we celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. It's this final moment in the Paschal Mystery when our Lord accomplished our salvation. We celebrate today the beautiful reunification of, of all people. You think uh, that image of the Tower of Babel from the Old Testament, from Genesis, when mankind in its pride is reaching up to God and God scatters uh, all of mankind, scatters their language um, precisely so they can't, uh, well, continue to fall into that sin of pride. Um, today's the, the, the reversal of that, that scattering that took place at the, at the Tower of, ba- of Babel. Um, it's also the celebration of ultimately the bond of love, which makes us all truly one human family. We heard in the first reading of the, of the empowering of the apostles uh, to not, not only reach the, reach the ears of all nations, but also the hearts of all men. And it's something that takes place also within each one of us in the moment of our confirmation, when the gift of the same Spirit is poured out upon each of us for the preaching of the gospel. It's good for us to note that that sending forth that happened on the moment of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, wasn't just meant for, like, I don't know, some people. Um, This is something that's meant uh, literally for all of mankind, every last person on the face of the earth. And that's the truth that I like to consider a little bit today on this feast. You see, if there's a God which cannot handle the complexities uh, of each person uh, on the face of this earth... um, well, I guess he's just a construct and, and, and nothing else. Uh, a God whose creation can somehow surpass him uh, and do something which he's unable to respond to is not really worthy of my time, nor of, of yours. And so on the one hand, uh, even using that language, uh, the God that we believe in is, is I mean, and, and the Savior that we believe in, our Lord Jesus Christ is, is the Savior of all of mankind, Maybe that sounds frightening to some. Uh, We as Christians rejoice greatly because it means that we have a God whose whose salvific power can overcome every last bit of evil in the world. And if there is any evil in the world which God's power cannot overcome, if there's somebody's sin, if there's somebody who God cannot save, then we might start to worry that that somebody who he, who he cannot save uh, is actually me. So we know what the church teaches, that God's salvation is greater than any and all sin. And the only way that I could be excluded from his salvation was for me personally to reject the gift of salvation. Again, this is good news for us because it means that there's hope for all of us. It means there's hope for all of my family members, Um, who may not be practicing the faith. It means that there's hope for all of my neighbors who might see the world very differently than I do. It also means that there's hope uh, that I, myself, will persevere in the faith that I have received. And so notice, too, what this salvation for us is supposed to look like, at least here on earth. Um, St. Paul said in the second reading to us, he says, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Immorality, impurity, lust, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, rivalry, jealousy, outbursts of fury, acts of selfishness, dissensions, factions, occasions of envy, drinking bouts, orgies, and the like. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
In contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such there is no law. In other words, what St. Paul is telling us that real conversion, the real conversion of mankind from sin is actually possible. He goes on to say, Now, those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. So the message that the Spirit sends us forth to to, to preach and to proclaim, namely love, joy, and peace, and all those gifts, all those fruits, rather, of the Holy Spirit, it's available to all of us and also to the entire world if we're willing to follow Jesus Christ and to deny the flesh those sinful pleasures. And while we do proclaim that message in words, uh, we can say it all day long, uh, we also know the more effective way to proclaim that message is by, well, having those fruits of the Spirit produced within my very self. And that is the first mission of Pentecost and the first mission of the Spirit within each one of us. Because if I'm still living in the flesh, if I'm still running headlong into those sins, that whole list of sins that St. Paul mentioned, what am I doing but compromising my witness to the victory of Christ within me? That list of the fruits of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, again, that are so opposed to each other, it's not given precisely so that, so that I can point out everybody else's faults. That's really easy. No, the, the reason that list is given is so I can compare my own life uh, to the standard that Christ has set. It's a good examination of conscience to help me see where I am following or maybe am tempted to follow the flesh and where I am, in fact, following the movements and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So St. Paul says, let us follow the Spirit. We know that a life of following the movements of the Holy Spirit is not a boring and rigid and colorless life. Our Lord says in John's Gospel, the Spirit blows where He wills. You don't know where He comes from or where He goes. Following the Spirit is about replacing the false joys of sin, all those pleasures of the flesh. It's all false joy. It's about replacing all of that with the deeper joys of God himself. And so we know that where before I tried to find happiness in the works of the flesh, well, now I've discovered true happiness in the outpouring of God's very spirit. Those fruits of the spirit that St. Paul lists, that's a language that everyone can speak. And it's also a language that speaks to everyone. They resonate with believer and non-believer alike. They help us to see how Christ, well, how belief in Christ isn't just an intellectual endeavor that leads to, again, a a rigid or ideological approach to life and to faith. No, it's it's the means through which all sin is conquered and my life is truly transformed. So that transformation begins with a choice. And it's a choice to believe in the victory of Christ. St. Paul tells us elsewhere that it's by faith that we are saved, through grace. The transformation then, after that choice, continues through my prayer and through my effort. Prayer, especially the reception of the sacraments, it's our point of connection with the divine. It's the means by which we receive the grace that we need to live out our faith. An effort, of course, my response to God's love for me, 
That's the part that I play. The daily decisions to love God and neighbor and to avoid sin. So today on Pentecost, we are reminded of the urgency of the call to proclaim and to live the gospel. We have to be careful not to fall into the trap that since there are non-Christians out there who are like really good people and maybe even better than some or a lot of Christians, we don't want to use that to say that therefore salvation somehow is achievable apart from Christ. That would be to deny the gospel and to deny the salvific power of the cross. No, instead we as Christians rejoice in the goodness that we find in others and especially in non-believers. And we can consider all of it a preparation to receive the fullness of the gospel. And neither do we fear that Christianity will destroy the beloved cultures of our fellow man. All culture, even Catholic culture, needs purification on some level. And an authentic living and proclaiming of the gospel helps to redirect the negative aspects of culture. It is to remove only that which cannot be salvaged and help that which can be salvaged to point to its final completion in God. I mean, look, no one's angry that we no longer continue the ancient practice in many pagan cultures of exposing unwanted newborn infants to death. Even though maybe our now paganized society has its own version of that. But also, I mean, everybody is happy that we've kept and even baptized the ancient practice of putting evergreen trees and branches in our, ho- in our, in our, host- our homes during winter to symbolize eternal life. We call it a Christmas tree now. So we take what's good, we leave what isn't. And each of us here is called to preach the gospel to those around us. Maybe we don't have eloquent words or erudite theological abilities. I don't care. Um, but all of us can have an eloquent life. The best theology isn't done uh, in books or even by reading books. The best theology is done on our knees in front of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. If we're going to reach the multitudes of different peoples and cultures who still are waiting and need to hear the gospel of Christ, all of us have a part to play. We, the church, together do what the apostles did at Pentecost. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in the language of those around us. Perhaps my own personal transformation sounds less spectacular than speaking in tongues, but it is, in fact, no less miraculous. And so the prayer that we make today is that the Holy Spirit would come upon each of us, that we might speak the gospel to the world as the Spirit himself enables us to proclaim.